0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective. This is the Theology Central Podcast, making theology central. Good morning everyone. It is Wednesday, February the 21st, 2024. It is currently 9:35 a.m. Central Time and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And well, it is time once again Well, to turn on the radio, we're calling this Theology Central Radio, and what we are doing is we're reaching back into our library, right? I mean, we have thousands of hours of content that's just laying there collecting dust. So I'm walking down the creaky, you know, stairs down into the basement, down into the library. No one's been down here for years. It's covered in cobwebs and dust, and I'm... I'm looking at all the files and I'm like, ooh, here's one. Let's play this. So that's what we're doing. We're kind of going back and trying to make use of all of this content. Who knows how long it will be around, but for now we have it. We're going to utilize it. So I'm, 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 that's what I'm doing. So for today, for this hour of Theology Central Radio, or to be fair, for this like hour and eight minutes, Of Theology Central Radio. We're going to go back to September the 20th, 2018. We're going all the way back to 2018. That seems like 10 lifetimes ago, okay? September the 20th, 2018, and we were doing some studies in the book of Galatians, and I did a message that I entitled, Galatians versus James. Galatians versus James. Now, I want to make it very clear. A lot of these messages, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going through the library. Like, I'm just looking and I see the title. I'm like, let's grab this. Most of these, I don't even remember what I, what was said in most, in most cases. I don't remember if they went, if it went well, if it went bad, if it was useful. I mean, 99% of the time when I'm done teaching, I always feel like it wasn't useful and it should be deleted. But, you know, at some point I had to stop doing that. And in fact, many, many, many years ago, uh, people in the church was like, would you stop deleting the messages? Would you stop deleting? And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. But um, yeah, you always, after the message, you always know then everything that you could have done better. You do. So, so if you hear, you know, well, hopefully the goal of this is not only reutilizing the library, utilizing the archive, um, not I you know, I get to walk down to the creepy basement, to the creepy storage room, whatever we're calling it. I get to clean things off. I mean, I'm ne- obviously, you know, allegorically, not n- metaphorically, not literally. Uh, so, but um, also, hopefully, it generates some new discussion and new conversation. And that's what we're going to do. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's go back to September the 20th, 2018. The Sanctuary... Victory Baptist Church, I'm behind the pulpit, and we're going to talk about Galatians versus James, and it sounded something like this. All right. Since we missed last Wednesday, and then Sunday was, part of that Sunday was going to be while well, we were behind a week. And so then that message from Wednesday got pushed to Sunday, which then turned into three hours instead of two hours With that, because that Wednesday and then Sunday night, we could have moved on to where we needed to go. So in a roundabout way, we're kind of behind like at least two hours minimum, maybe three hours behind, uh, and we've got to find a way to catch um, up. So this is what we're going to do. We haven't spent a lot of time as together looking at the Bible study guides but if you have your Bible study guide make sure you pull that out we're going to do a lot of reading from it and trying to uh, make sure everyone's on the same page okay all right first thing um, today is the 18th right 19th all right so in your reading you should be Galatians chapter 3 5 through 6 which would put you with pretty much at least part of Session 3, because Session 3 covers Galatians 3, 1 through 14, the context Galatians 3, 1 through 18, so you would be right there where you need to be. So um, if you're behind, read something, okay? Just start reading, all right? And with that, go to page 8 of the Bible Study Guide, Now, for those listening online, I will make sure that you know what's going on. So, because we'll be reading it out loud. So, let's do this. This is the introduction. And remember, this Bible study guide is designed to cover two books, right? And those two books are? Galatians and James, all right? And this is what the introduction says. At first glance, Galatians and James may seem to be two diametrically opposed books. Paul wrote Galatians to emphasize salvation by grace, not by works. James wrote his letter to emphasize the need for works to demonstrate that faith is real. In reality, their message is the same. Salvation is found only in Jesus, but salvation produces faith in the life of the person who believes. All right. Now, that problem, that struggle of trying to put those two concepts together, we started talking about a while ago before we even got to the Bible study guide when we dealt with the issue of lordship salvation, right? And what we have discovered is that the problem, like to say it that way, you know, really oversimplifies the depth of the problem. Okay, and because they give kind of the answer that everyone always gives, um, especially within Christianity and, and don't really work through it. And so let me read that again just to to make sure we see this, how they try to make this problem simpler than I think it actually is. And then we'll talk a little bit about this because this is going to be important by the time we're done. I want to make sure we have kind of maybe a better understanding, not only of the problem, but maybe a better solution if we can even come up with one. But let's read this paragraph again, all right? At first glance, Galatians and James may seem to be two diametrically opposed books. Paul wrote Galatians to emphasize salvation by grace and not by works. James wrote his letter to emphasize the need for works to demonstrate that faith is real. Stop right there. What is significance about that statement? When you read that, if you were to read that for the first time... Something should immediately give you pause and you should ask yourself a question. What what statement should catch your attention and what statement should give you pause and what question should you ask yourself? Do I? Okay. No. Let me read it again. At first glance, Galatians and James may seem to be two diametrically opposed books. Paul wrote Galatians to emphasize salvation by grace and not by works. James wrote his letter to emphasize the need for works to demonstrate that faith is real. The reason you should pause and stop there is you should immediately realize that that statement that James wrote his letter to emphasize the need for works to demonstrate that faith is real is a big time interpretation there's lots of debate on how to interpret the book of James, okay? We could, we could, make, we could even argue that when he says that uh, Paul wrote Galatians to emphasize salvation by grace and not by works, I, I would say that may be somewhat a, a, an interpretive, interpretive statement. However, when you read Galatians, you could argue that comes across kind of pretty clear, even in what we've read so far, I think, right? I mean, maybe, you know, I think we could say that's a little easier, When you read the book of James, it's not going to jump out and say, oh, he is simply saying uh, that James is simply saying the need uh, that uh, in reality, or hang on, let me read it again, that James wrote his letter to emphasize the need for works to demonstrate that faith is real. Some would argue that no, James is making an argument that works is necessary for salvation, not even to prove it, for it, all right? I want to make sure we understand that because it's because if because this is what happens. You read a statement like that. That does what to now when you study the book of James? That gives you a presupposition. All right, we can call this presuppositional hermeneutics, where you read what someone tells you the book is about, and then you right. And so what this gives you is the person who wrote the study guide. That's their interpretation of James. Their interpretation of James is that, that the book of James is simply doing what? That, it, that James is simply telling us that works are necessary to demonstrate that faith is real. Now that may be, turn out to be true, but what you have to always catch when you read something that is offering you kind of a presupposition to the hermeneutics they're going to later offer, to the interpretation they're going to, to later offer. Does that make sense? That's preconditioning you for their answer. Does that make sense? So that's the first thing you should catch on to. Secondly, they go with the same thing that, that is said over and over and over. Salvation is found only in Jesus, but salvation produces fruit in the life of the person who believes. So this is a, the struggle goes something like this. Salvation is by faith alone. That's all you need. It's just to believe. Just to believe. If you believe, that is sufficient for your salvation. However, comma, 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 exclamation point. right? However, but, that's almost a but. It, 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 we probably should just put a but there, which technically cancels out everything that was just said. But within the, within the Protestant world, we say salvation is by faith. All you need to do is believe in Jesus. Jesus is sufficient, but... If you really believe you will do, and nobody can agree what should be on that list, or how much of it should be there, and how much you have to demonstrate it. Again, we could just take one concept, right? All right, we could take one concept, that as a, as a newborn babe, sincerely desire the sincere milk of God's word that you may grow thereby. That, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That you should cherish the word of God, that you should love the word of God more than food, gold, or silver. You should meditate on God's word day and night. We could just take that one concept, right? That one concept. And if we interpret James as saying, if you truly have faith, your life will show evidence of it in other words faith will produce this work and if we just take the one area of work dealing with God's word how then do you interpret when someone doesn't seem to meditate on a day and night or seem to love? are they not saved now the people who don't like to read and the people who like to study will say "Eh, I'm good I'm good and almost everyone, no one is gonna hold anyone to the to the no one holds anyone to the biblical standard that the Bible uh, gives us about our attitude towards God's word. Would everyone agree with that? You don't see someone being church disciplined because they don't meditate on God's word day and night. You don't see right? You don't see that happening. True? So what we do is we create the list and say, okay, if you're truly saved. These are the things you won't do, right? And then if someone starts doing them, they'll say, okay, well, you're still saved. You you better stop, right? Like nobody can really, like the, the slogan sounds good, right? If I just read that last statement, salvation is found only in Jesus, but salvation produces fruit in the life of the person who believes. Everyone will say amen to it. It sounds good. I've repeated that slogan. I was taught that slogan. It sounds so good, and it it, it it at first it resolves the problem until you start asking those deeper questions. Well, what kind of fruit? How much fruit? How often? How do you quantify it? And are and are you not? and, and when you start trying to answer that question about how much fruit, when is it produced? What do you start becoming dangerously close to doing? Salvation by faith alone is not sufficient. But, right, which seems to cancel out, right? And so I just want to make sure that we understand that I completely, listen, I completely believe that maybe there is some kind of answer. I just don't believe it is as simplistic as everyone wants to make it, right? Because, I mean, I learned all the slogans. We're you know we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves doesn't remain alone. I mean, like that sounds good. those are those are great slogans. Slogans work if you don't ask any more questions. This is what a slogan is good for. You ask a question, the pastor gives you the slogan, and you walk away going, all right. But now, if you if you go home and keep thinking about it and thinking about it, all of a sudden the slogan becomes insufficient. Does that make sense? So I just want you to catch on that number one, what we read here that's offering you an interpretation. Right? You need to be aware of that. Number two, what you need to be aware of is I think it's an oversimplification. I don't think it's. I don't even know when we're done. Look, if it was that simple, Luther wouldn't have struggled with it. Didn't he struggle with the two books? Galatians, my epistle, James, an epistle of straw (laughs) should be burned, right? Like he struggled with it. I think anyone who's willing. So we just need to be aware that the more we figure this out, the more the more trouble we have coming before us. But the time we're done with the next uh, this quarter. All right. Let's continue reading. After Paul had founded churches in the Galatian region, some men have come preaching circumcision and obedience to the ceremonial law as necessary for salvation. What were the three things they list here? Preaching circumcision, obedience to the ceremonial law. So two things, okay. So circumcision and obedience to the ceremonial law as necessary for salvation. You can believe in Jesus, but now do we replace here's the question as a christian as a protestant do you replace salvation in christ alone for you know faith in jesus alone for salvation but do you then require and then replace circumcision and replace obedience to the ceremonial law as necessary for salvation Now, you would never say that two other things are necessary for salvation, but if you say, if you don't do these two things, you were never saved, you're kind of making them necessary for salvation, right? What things would you put there? Because you probably have some things, right? We all do. Well, if a person continues to do that, there's no way they were saved. Well, you're kind of making it necessary. If you're truly saved, you can't do that. That's the struggle. That's the the logical struggle that every Christian should, at some point in their Christian life, have to wrestle with and not allow a simple slogan to to be sufficient. Paul wrote his letter to emphasize faith in Christ alone as necessary for salvation. He did not write to disparage the Jewish customs, but to prove them unnecessary for salvation. He wrote to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ alone. He wrote to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Now, please note, alone. All I need is the cross of Jesus alone for salvation. Well, if that's all I need, is that all I need? And we say, well, it's all you need to be saved, but the salvation that saves is going to do this, 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 and this. But then no one can articulate what the this, 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 and this is. Right? James, the half-brother of Jesus, was not a follower of Christ during his earthly ministry. A post-resurrection appearance of Jesus convinced him Jesus was the Christ. James became a respected leader in the Jewish community, in, in the Jerusalem uh, church. I don't know where I got Jewish community, but okay. All right. I, I mean, wow, I'm just making up words now, All right. And then, that, they don't even look the same, okay. All right. All right. I got the J and the C, right, okay, in the Jerusalem church. I don't know where. I'm just putting in words. That's how come I read so fast. I just put in my own words, okay. All right, James' letter is filled with practical commands, like Proverbs, which James often referenced, referenced, his letter is about practice and daily living. He deals with common themes such as how to face suffering, how to control the tongue, and why one should have concern for social justice. He deals with you know, that whole social justice thing. I don't know if that's how James would have put it. I think that's very using a very modern term there, but okay. All right. Just caught that. He deals with the important, important subject of relationships among fellow Christians and love for one another. He ends with an encouragement to anticipate the return of Christ. James is hard-hitting and convicting as a letter and is extremely practical. The complex relationship between Galatians and James is best seen in the writings of Luther. In his commentary on Galatians, Luther designated it as his favorite book. It dealt with the struggles he had faced in trying to earn God's favor through the practices of the church. Of course, they leave out uh, the Roman Catholic Church. because They don't want to offend anybody, but they kind of leave that out, but that's okay. All right. On the other hand, Luther called James an epistle of straw in comparison to more weighty books, um, in his opinion, like Romans and Galatians. What rubbed Luther the wrong way was the emphasis on work, something that he had shed in his journey to Christ. However, the two books are not contradictory. They only view salvation from different vantage points. Paul spoke to those trying to obtain salvation, and James spoke to those who claimed to have it, but with no visible evidence in their lives. They are not competitors, but companions in the truth of the gospel. All right. I will argue that if we believe the Bible is inspired by God, that we would say that they're not competitors, right? That they are companions. However, I don't know if trying to figure them out is as simple as we have, as they have made it out to be. while well, we've probably made it out simpler than it is as well because you have to continue to question until you try to find the ultimate truth. All right, so that, so that just, gets, just wants to, I just want to remind everyone that what we're really working on is Galatians and James. I know our emphasis has been on Galatians, but I want you to continue to just realize as you're studying Galatians and reading Galatians to keep it in mind because at some point you're going to be contrasting that with James. Does that make sense? So, obviously, as you're working your way reading Galatians, I want you to just constantly either writing it down or at least remember, all every time it emphasizes salvation by grace alone, salvation apart from works, just really remember the sections that emphasizes that, because we're going to contrast that when we get to James. When we get to James, we're going to be coming back to a lot of those parts in Galatians. I don't know if the Bible study guide is necessarily going to do that, but we're going to do that, okay? Because they set it up, right? These books appear to be contradictory. Our job is to try to figure out why they appear to be and how to resolve it. All right, in session one, what was the emphasis in session one? This is review time. Okay, well that's the title. Okay, All right. Well, I think the I think I said the key in session one was two verses. What was two, those two verses? What was the uh, pa- What was the passage of scripture that you were to look at in session one? Galatians chapter one verses one through ten. All right, and I said that the key verses there was six and seven, which. Gives us the problem. And what was the problem? A perverted gospel. And how did we summarize this perverted gospel? I gave you a simple way to remember it. No, 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 no. How did we summarize the perverted gospel? Jesus it is not enough. Jesus is not enough. Jesus, believing in Jesus alone is not sufficient. That was the perverted gospel. Everybody remember this? Okay, all right. All right I, think, uh, I think the Bible study sort of guide even, all right, okay, I think that even makes that clear. All right. Everybody remember that? Okay, yes, no? All right, okay. Um, yeah, all right, and I don't want to go through everything. Everybody remember the outline that we gave for the session one? Galatians chapter one verses one through two. No authority. Remember, we talked about the. <laughs> talked about the authority. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. N- number two. Number two. Number two. What from verses three through five? Okay, grace and peace. All right, good. And then uh, last six through ten. The perverted gospel. Okay, all right. Or they, the Bible study guy calls it distorted by some, if you remember that. Okay, then session two. What was the key in session two? What did I really emphasize in session two? Ah, very good. In session one, I emphasized the theological problem, right? The perverted gospel. In session two, I emphasized what I referenced as the racial problem. That's why I entitled all the sermons on this Sunday as racism in Galatia, right? Or raci- racism in Galatians, right? Okay, because and because we, we did an extra thing to try to fix this problem, all right? But what, why did I call it racism, because there was a problem here, right? Peter had received a revelation from God saying, hey, the Gentiles are okay. Right? And he used the animals as a picture of this. We could talk about the dietary laws, but when we went to Acts, it was very clear there was about the Gentiles, right? Okay, and remember, in that time, there were some major social divisions. And Jew and Gentile was a big social division. The Jews viewed the Gentiles as what? Dogs unclean, don't go into their house, don't have anything to do with them, don't eat with them. Peter receives a revelation from God destroying that social division. However, Peter, after hanging out with the Gentiles and eating and everything was going great, remember this all happens in Antioch, right? Some people show up from James and Peter decides, I'm not going to eat with these people anymore. I'm going to eat only with the Jews, right? And he did so not because his theology had been clarified, not because he did more Bible study. The text tells us why. We don't even have to interpret this. He feared. And so we talked about the fear of man and how the fear of man leads to all kinds of problems. It's a trap, right? It will lead us to all kinds of of, problems. Issues. So in this case, the fear of man led Peter to go against the revelation given to him by God. The fear of man is that powerful. It will make you literally go against the revelation from God. All right. So we talked about this racial issue, this divide, this social division. And I spent all of Sunday leaving the Bible study guide to do what? To go back and say this racial problem can be fixed by looking at three key words. And those three key words were creation, the fall, and redemption. All right. And I spent a lot of time on the creation part because the creation part tells us what it means to be human. And what it means to be human is that as a human being, I am created in the image of God. I am an image bearer. And, we t- and as because as a human being, I'm an image bearer, we're all human bear. All humans are, human- are image bearers, right? So there's no division between race, gender, or anything else. Every person, therefore, has dignity and value because of their humanity, cre- because they were created. I don't want to go through everything we talked about on Sunday. We spent three hours on it, so hopefully you remember something from it. But it's very important. All right? Very important. And I, and I cannot stress everything there. For those who listen to everything I post who may be listening online, I posted a, uh, a commentary this morning on, uh, on this link between abortion and a fanicide. And, the, and they talk about the idea of the dignity and value of human beings, which goes back to the understanding of humanity and creation. Okay? So, so, very, so there's a lot that I've tried to connect with, but that's important. So the Jew needed to see the Gentile not as an unclean dog, but as an image bearer of God. That's what they needed to see and understand. Now, redemption, we talked about how redemption influences all this as well, all right? So that was session two. Now, what was the answer given in session two to Peter's error, to Peter's sin, to Peter's Going against the revelation that the, session two provided a theological answer. And what was that theological answer? Yeah, that's not the answer. That's what Paul did. All right, we're just going to go back to session two then. Okay, all right, go back to session two. All right, go to Galatians chapter two. All right, we're going to go backwards a little bit. Okay, we, that means we're going to be more, further behind on Sunday, but that's okay. All right, but we got to make sure everyone's uh, on the same page here. All right, Galatians chapter 2. This, se- this section here uh, goes from chapter 2, verse 11, to chapter 2, verse 21. All right, this section was divided into three parts. Those three parts are Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Confronted by truth according to the Bible study guide. That deals with what? Paul. Paul confronts Peter to his face. And why does he confront him to his face? All right, look at verse 14. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the him, him ref, his refusing to eat with the Gentiles was an attack upon the gospel. I will go so far to say it was an attack upon the view of creation, but it clearly was an attack upon the gospel. Because ultimately what Peter was saying is, hey, you Gentiles, your faith in Jesus is not enough. You've got to, do, you've got to be circumcised and obey the ceremonial law if you want to eat with me. Right? It was an affront upon the gospel, so that, that was the confrontation. Okay, now, that's the confrontation, but what was the second outline in this section? It goes from 15 through 18. Justified by grace. Here, Paul offers what kind of answer? A theological answer, Right? There's a theological problem, and remember I talked about this on Sunday, right? There's a theological answer given here. Paul deals with the problem almost from a theological gospel perspective. I wanted it to offer, and he's dealing with the theological problem, not the racial. He's dealing with the theological problem that this was an attack upon the gospel. That's why I said there was a theological problem and a racial problem. Paul wants to handle theological problem theologically, makes sense, and he does so starting in chapter 2, verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. He's saying that the Jew and the Gentile is saved the same way, not by any works. So if you're not saved by any works, then the Gentiles are not required to do any works. Now that leads to a problem if you carry that, right? Immediately you see how this could, wait, wait, James is going to make a different kind of argument. But Paul seems to be making, at least making the argument in the context of the Jewish law, they didn't need to do anything. So then how far do you take that? That leads to all kinds of questions, all right? But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. He doesn't need to rebuild a system that no longer has anything to do with because he'll end up making himself a transgressor by trying to keep the law because that law is not sufficient to what? To save for salvation, all right? So he resolves the problem there. Does that make sense, all right? And then what was the last section? Crucified with Christ, all right? Now, what was the emphasis I spent, I think, an hour on this problem? Crucified with Christ is a section, verses 19 to 21 of chapter 2, all right, that poses a problem. Because this is a, a, a section that is usually given for a new Christian to memorize. And it's usually, well, I'll read it. Chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I ye- live, not, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Stop right there. Typically, you are told to memorize this verse, and you're told this verse basically. This is basically how the verse is preached. You, as a Christian, you have died, and now you can live this new life because Christ lives in you. It's usually given as a way to have victory, that you're going to have victory over sin, that you're now better than that poor lost person because the old man has died and now you're this new person and you're going to live this new life and you're going to have victory and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I challenged that interpretation. And remember, I said it was going to be controversial to challenge that interpretation. And the basis of my challenging that interpretation is what? That's not what this is about. This is about what? Right. And this is saying that I have died and I no longer live by keeping law. I live by faith. That I am dead to what? The requirements of the law. I don't, I'm, I'm no longer bound by the requirement of circumcision. I'm no longer bound by the ceremonial law. I'm no longer bound by this law. Because my salvation is not dependent on what I can do, hence I'm dead. It's based on what Christ did, who lives. Me died, Christ lives. That is the emphasis here. Any application you want to go beyond that, we could argue all day about that. But the context here is not about, hey... You know what, you can live the Christian life and be victorious because Christ No that no this is about saying you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. You don't have to keep the law. And it emphasizes that he shows the idea that you died. And dead people can't do anything. That's the I know that's a, I know that goes against what everyone says. But I think that that's the context. I I think if we, because everyone wants to find these verses that gives us idea that oh, there's that poor lost person and man, they can't they can't live a godly life, they can't do anything. And now you're a Christian and dun dun, da da, you possess superpower. And reality doesn't seem to indicate that we possess much superpower because we continue to sin over and over. And what have I said so much? If, If somehow if I'm dead, well then, why do I sin? I'm dead to what? I'm dead to the law because I'm in Christ, right? Does that I think that is where we're going. Now, does everybody remember that? Does that kind of help you with uh, I know that was a quick review, but um, well, it's not a quick review because we've now spent almost the entire hour reviewing, but hopefully hopefully it's been beneficial. So let's do this. Let's go to page 24. All right. In a big pink box on page 24, it says Bible skill. Stop right there. All right. Now, this is important. One of the, this is an important, you may want to write this principle down. Here is a very important principle to being a good student of the Bible. All right? Very important principle. You all know it in this church. Right. And I'm going to read how they state the principle. Use multiple scripture passages to understand a doctrine, right? Let me state it in a more dogmatic way since I'm not known for being politically correct, right? Until you have read every scripture that speaks about a doctrine, you can't have a doctrine, right? Like you can't say, that's my doctrine, Right? This is what I believe. Not unless you've read all the scriptures about that. And how many Christians walk around saying, this is what I believe. And they barely can rem- remember two verses on the, on the subject. And I can almost guarantee they never took the time to read all the verses on the subject. Right? It's like if you get into an argument about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've had this conversation multiple times with Charismatics I worked with. Okay. How many times is the baptism of the Holy Spirit mentioned in the New Testament? I don't know. Have you looked up all the verses about it? I don't know. Well, then how do you believe? How can you believe? (laughs) That makes no sense. Makes no sense. So here, they're at least trying to remind you of that skill. And that skill is simple. There's a doctrine. You've got to take the time to see what the Bible has to say about it. You've got to do a thorough search. And then a detailed reading, and then hopefully a detailed time of trying to interpret it. So first you've got to find them. Once you find them, you've got to read them. Once you read them, you probably have to read them more than once, and then you've got to try to interpret them. And most of the time that doesn't happen. Okay? So here we go. It says read the following Bible passages and take note of the source of justification. So we're going to do that. Because did anyone do this? I knew Miss Gussler was going to raise her hand. Did anyone? I should have said anyone other than Miss Gusler. Okay. All right. So we're going to do it again. Sorry, Miss Gusler. We're going to have to do it again. All right. Here we go. All right. Go to Acts chapter 13. Now, these are the verses they picked. We'll see how clear they are. Acts chapter 13. All right, everybody there? All right, if you go back uh, just a little ways in Acts chapter 13, um, I don't know how far we would have to go back to find it. If we go back to verse 30, uh, but God raised him from the dead. Obviously, we know who that's referencing. Jesus, okay, he goes through, alright, and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no, uh, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David, wherefore he, and then he quotes from uh, one of the Psalms, okay, he's going on verse 38, be it known unto you therefore men and brethren that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins and by him All that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Stop right there. That's an important passage for a lot of reasons, right? For a lot of reasons, right? Number one, the big one is clearly the source of justification. The source of being justified is whom? Jesus, And clearly, justification in Jesus is set apart from the justification that was brought to them by the law of Moses, which was not a complete justification. Would everyone agree? All right, now these kind of verses lead to the rise of dispensationalism, right? Saying, hey, there's a different different time, right? Like, there was the time under the law of Moses, which was different than the time under Christ. There was a difference. Reform theology or covenant theology doesn't like that idea. Right? They just say there was, the, there was a covenant of works in the garden. After the fall, there was a covenant of grace, and we've been under the covenant of grace ever since. Dispensation tries to draw some greater detail. Well, this seems to at least imply a difference, right? Agreed? Right? Now, we could say, how far do you take that? What do you do with it? But it does. But the main thing is the source of salvation, according to Acts in this passage, is whom? Jesus is the source. Not me, and not the law. Agreed? All right. How about Romans chapter 3? Romans chapter 3, go to verse 21. We'll go to verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Stop right there. Verse 20 tells me that justification does not, the source of justification is not what? The law. The law. What, is, what's, what does the law bring? The knowledge of sin. The knowledge of sin. That's what the law does. The law only brings out the fact that you are a sinner. It doesn't save. It's not the source. So therefore the law is not the source of salvation. The law is the source of guilt. Right, keep that in mind. Like, How does this apply to James is going to lead to lots of difficulty, right? Because if you come back and say, well, you have to do this, 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 and this, or you're not saved, then you're making that law become somehow, like, how do we balance this? Right, but the new kind of law is far more complicated than the Old, Old Testament. In fact, it's even more... Uh, Demanding, right? Now that's true. Now that is true. Now that's true. And so, do we different? What's the is the difference then? Well, we're not saved by keeping the Old Testament law. However, it's required to keep Jesus' law. Well, we can't keep Jesus' law either. So then, like, how does that work? So, well, I don't know. We'll just have to see. All right, verse twenty-one. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, wait a minute. We have a righteousness of God that is manifested without the law. Well, that's... How, how, does, how, do, how do we get that? All right. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all, upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Oh, Wait. How does this righteousness show? So Jesus Christ is the source not only of justification, we'll say he's the source of righteousness. Right. Would that be fair? And which we believe, we call that imputed righteousness, Right, accredited to our account, that I'm declared perfectly righteous because of my faith in Jesus. And no matter what I do, I'm still perfectly righteous, which is a very troubling thing in the mind of some, like, wait, that's not fair, and it's not fair. Make sure everyone understands, it's not fair, but we don't want fair. Because <laughs> fair would be we'd have to keep God's demands, and well, then we'd all be in hell, and that would be fair. And we'd say, well, that's not fair. Like, okay, nobody, like, you know, fair is a, a very human uh, judgment we, we place on things, okay? Um. And just note, there is no difference. I think that's important, because there's that whole problem in Galatia, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely, right, uh, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness uh, for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him who believeth in. We're seeing the source over and over. Who's the source of all of these things? Jesus, All right. Where is the boasting then? It is what? <laughs> by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. All right, now wait a minute. So, so there's no boasting. Nothing to boast about because my salvation has nothing to do with what I do. Has something to do with what Christ did. It's in Christ; He's the source. Therefore, we conclude. Here's the conclusion: that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. That's the conclusion. You may want to write Romans three twenty-eight down somewhere in your Bible study guide because I'm telling you, we're going to have to reconcile that verse with a verse in James that seems to completely contradict it. I'm not talking like, it's a complete contradiction of it. James is going to argue that no, it's not by faith alone. We're going to have to work on that. Now, what people will do, they'll put the verse in Romans, they'll put the verse in James, throw out the little statement, the little cliche, right, And then everyone goes home and says, oh, I I now reconcile the two in my brain. I just don't know if it's that simple. Verse 29, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision. That verse... You want to write it on every page of your Galatians Bible study because that's the philological answer to their problem. What's the philological answer to their problem? Hey, Peter, those people you're not eating with, they're justified by faith, apart from circumcision. Are you eating with? They're justified by faith. Nothing to do with their circumcision, nothing to do with them being Jewish. Nothing to do with any ceremonial law. So the fact that so the division that was happening at Antioch and in the churches of Galatia that these people were coming in to try to preach and create was a division that was being done apart from the truth of this gospel. It was a false gospel. everybody see that? right? That's, that's pretty clear, is it not? Verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Now that's a key verse, right? Why is 31 key? Because Paul seems to, Paul seems to believe, and he's the one who's been given this revelation, right? That wait a minute, the, we're establishing the law, we're not getting rid of the law. Well, how does the law play out? Well, what's the one thing we can be absolutely dogmatic about? The law has nothing to do with me being saved or stating that if I'm righteous or unrighteous in front of God. So the law would have to have a different purpose, a different meaning in light of this. Would everyone agree? Now, some are going to argue James is going to say the whole purpose of the law is simply to prove your salvation. I don't know that because once you start saying it's to prove it, and if you don't do it, you don't have it, you're almost making it a requirement. That's the that's the tricky problem. That's the tricky problem. And again, at this point, Christians would just want to cite, well, the faith, we're saved. We're saved by uh, faith in Jesus alone, but the faith in Jesus alone doesn't remain alone. That doesn't, that's is a great slogan, but it doesn't fix the problem. Maybe there's another purpose of the law that we'll have to figure out. I don't know. We'll see. Okay? Does that make sense? I, I hope. All right. The next passage they want us to read is Romans 5, 9. Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. How are we saved? By his blood. So we are, our salvation, justification comes through the sacrificial work of Jesus, the death of Jesus. Right? Look at Romans eight thirty. Romans chapter eight verse thirty to thirty three. All right. Now this leads to all kinds of controversy and debates and divided Christianity especially from the fifteen hundreds on. All right. But let's not get caught up in whatever wants to debate about here. Let's focus on who is the source of our justification. That's what we want to focus on here. Okay. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. In whom he justified them he also glorified. Now what I want you to realize, who is the source of the justification? The one, yeah God, the one who is doing the calling the one who, he's the one doing the calling, the justifying, and the glorifying. Everybody agreed. God is the source of it, not us. What shall we say? What shall we then say uh, to these things? If God be for us who can be against us? Listen to me carefully. Sometimes this verse is used in all kinds of weird ways, quoted in devotionals and in sermons. What's the idea? Against us in what way? They can't stop us from being justified. Right? No matter, if, if God is for me, who can be against me? Someone can sit there and point out this, 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 this. They can talk about you. They can gossip. They can slander. They can call you a hypocrite. They can call you every name in the book. Guess what? If God is for me, it, can it, it doesn't matter to my justification. It doesn't matter to my glorification. It doesn't matter to my calling. God called. God justifies. God glorifies. Who can be against me? No one can stop that because it's a work of God. And to ensure that my interpretation is right, right, because someone may argue, well, no, this is talking about, you know, if I go to work and my boss is being mean to me, well, you know, if God is for me, who can be against me? That's not what it's about. It's not about, well, you've got a, a neighbor who's causing you all kinds of trouble and you say, well, if God is for me, who could be against us? Or the worst cases I've seen it quoted is by football coaches uh, to their football team. That is not what this is about, okay? Okay, this is about justification, right? Okay, this is about justification. Nobody, no matter what they say about you, matters as far as justification is concerned. That makes sense? It, it may matter in other areas, but it doesn't matter in justification. Right Now, to prove that I'm quoting this the right way, what does the next verse say? Mm-hmm. He that spared not his own son, that's speaking of God the Father, right? But delivered him up, for us, how shall he not with, uh, with him also freely give us all things? Continue. Verse 33 is the, connects us back to 31. Right? Who can be against us? Okay, if God is for me, how is God for me? Verse 32 tells me how God is for me. Right? Because God did all those things. He gave up his own son to die for me. Obviously... That's how he's for me, right? Now, who can be against me? That comes in verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? The answer? No one. Because it is God that justifieth. Period. It is God that justifies. So someone can bring a charge against you and say you are a liar, you are a hypocrite, you are a failure, you are a loser, you are a sinner, and you are like, well, I'm also justified. Now that doesn't excuse the sin. I want to make sure no one walks here going, "Hey, I'm going to go out and sin tonight," and then, and then when someone calls me up and says, "Hey, you sin," I say, hey, "Hey, who can lay a charge against me?" I no one can. Ch- now, now this now this raises lots of questions, though. <laughs> Woo, this one can raise a lot of problems, right? Right, and, but I'm saying this also raises a different kind of problem, right? Because when we so, and again, just make sure we understand this, the doctrine of God's grace and being justified alone is dangerous because we're sinners, Right. So this is what happens. James seems to give uh, everyone because this is how we take the book of James or the book of first John. We take these books and we say, oh, now I'm equipped to run around and say, yeah, we we, like that warning sign. We 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 run around like James and and first John is the book that gives us the the ability to sound the alarm and say, oh, you're not saved. You're not saved. You're not saying, but well, wait a minute, Romans just said, read that last verse, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Right. Now on one hand, we got, now this is where balance is so necessary, because on one hand that should give us pause. Pause. Right? Because, see, when you're a young Christian and you learn about James and you learn about John, and, and you'll learn this statement when you're a young Christian, right? You're, you're uh, a young Christian. You learn, especially if you're, like, one of those Christians who really care about God and you're trying to learn because you're trying to, like, I'm trying to live my life and I'm trying to understand why other people aren't. You'll say, well, I'm not judging. I'm just inspecting fruit. I'm a fruit inspector, right? That, I've heard sermons about that, right? Okay? Like, I, I'm i just... Well, wait a minute, we've got to be careful. Now, there is a part where Jesus makes the claim that the fruit is, you know, there's something about the fruit that seems to indicate something. The problem is we have to be careful because we don't want to lay something, a charge against God's elect. Because even if we do... Okay, because just, just, and I think I think here, I think this is an important, important, It's not only is this important in trying to understand how Galatians and James somehow work together, but I just want to give one biblical, well, I'll give two biblical examples. I'll give, well, maybe two, maybe four. Okay, I'll give you at least one, okay. If you would have been hanging out, right, wherever David was when he committed all of his sin, right, and you got the report, right, and you come to inspect David's fruit, Yeah, you're gonna chop down the tree and throw it in the fire, right? You're gonna be like David. Okay, is there a ten commandment you didn't break? Like, I mean, I think he tried to make some commandments and break them too. I mean, you got deception, you got murder, you got trying to get a man drunk. uh, You, I mean, you got adultery, uh, polygamy. I mean, like he just was going on. He was going. He coveted another man's wife. He had adultery. He killed. He. Deceit he bore false witness i mean i mean he he placed the note in the hand of the man to send him to his death i mean like you're like he didn't just sin it was diabolical right i mean like you know it's like oh i i'm i i know what i'll do to cover my sin i'll kill someone right like you know that's whoo that's going pretty far everyone now there's not a person alive Okay, there's not a church in the world who would say, come on in, David, and oh, by the way, teach us the Bible, because every time we read the Psalms that he wrote after he committed that sin, the murdering adulterer is teaching you the Bible. Oh, and oh, yeah, we also read Proverbs from a man who had how many wives? And how many concubines? Okay, right. Yeah, so we we learn from these men all the time, right? All the time we learn from these men who did horrific things. And I think what we learn is sometimes it's not as easy to inspect the fruit as we think it out to be. Because God is the one who, Peter, he rebuked God to his face. He rebuked God. I mean, that's mean, ins- that's like, whoa. like And not just rebuke God like, up. I'm just going to speak words in the air. He was looking at God in the face. After confessing who he was, he said, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to the cross. And it was so bad that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He referred to him as Satan. After he called him the rock, he referred to him as now some would say it's the confession he called the rock whatever you want to say he just said wonderful things about Peter and you know flesh and blood did not reveal this to you you had a divine oh and then later on the same wonderful Peter who received another great every time he received a revelation he immediately violated the revelation he's now literally going against the gospel he's literally going against the gospel so I just think that that Romans is, is telling us hey justification the source of it is God and no one can challenge that even if one doesn't seem to live to I just think it gives us pause right how because James is going to give us the ammunition to challenge everyone's faith so is John how do you work that out in the life of the church like, if you just lived in a monastery, right, you would just use it to challenge yourself. But you don't. You live, you live in a world where everywhere, especially in this part of the country, everyone you know claims to be, and you're like, well, man, they don't do this, they don't do this, they don't do that, they don't do this. Like, like, and, and in your mind, it's, and, and, and let's be honest, there's a little bit of this that comes into your mind. Well, if that's a Christian, and they're going to the same heaven I'm going to, Why do I even go to church? Right? I mean, there's a little bit of that. Like, we have to be honest. There's, you, may, you, may not, you may not come out your mouth, but it has to be in the back of your head, right? It has to be like, well, wait a minute. If that's Christianity, if that's Christianity, then like, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I get to go to heaven. How do we reconcile that? Romans is at least causing a pause here. The source of our justification is Christ, God. And no one can come back to, to you and say, you're not justified. If I have faith in Christ, I am. James is going to seem to come back and say, you're not justified. So I want us to just feel the weight, like, that, like this is resolving the problem in Galatians, is it not? Hey, man, you don't need the circumcision? Don't. It's at least resolving that problem, all right? And we got to stop, all right? So I just, I'll read this. How do these verses give insight into Paul's statement in Galatians 2, 15 through 18? We don't have time to answer that now, but if you haven't answered it in your Bible study guide, you need to answer that. Read Galatians 2, 15 through 18 and say, how does those verses... Um, give insight into that statement, right? right? We'll try to work on that on Sunday, okay? So Sunday, we're going to have to spend a lot of time just with the Bible study guide, all right? But I, I, tonight, this is my, was my goal tonight, so everyone understands. I wanted us just to, once again, put this in the context of what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to not only f- understand Galatians, we're trying to understand Galatians and how it's going to relate to James. So I wanted to emphasize the, the coming problem. Does that make sense? And I wanted to emphasize the coming problem by clearly making sure we get a good understanding of what it means to be justified. And justification is by faith alone, through Christ alone, apart from the work of the law, which we read over and over. Everyone agree? Right. So I wanted, I wanted to emphasize that. Second thing I wanted to accomplish tonight is I wanted us to just do a review because I just don't want us to fly through these sessions and then you don't even remember. Right? Right? So that's why once I kind of realized there was some some people not possibly remembering, I wanted to stop and go back and work on some of that. Right. I know we didn't get to session three. We still need to get to session three. But hopefully the reminder of session two will be beneficial in some of that. All right. So in session, what I really need tonight is Wednesday. You got Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Read the passage and the I'll I'll just give it to you right here. Make sure you read Galatians 3, 1 through 14. Galatians 3, 1 through 14. Please read that by Sunday. And everything in your power, how many pages is the Bible study guide? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Nine pages in the Bible study guide for session 3. Please, 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 please read it. At least remember the outline that they give you. All right? Please at least, I know I'm probably going to change it, but at least remember this one. All right? Got it? And, and again, if you, even if you don't have time to, to read what's here, at least read the Galatians 3, 1 through 14. Please, please, have that down. So Wednesday, we just need to jump in and go, or we're, we're already way, we're going to be way behind. Okay? makes sense? All right, good. All right, let's pray. And uh, again, if you have any questions or thoughts on anything you're doing in the Bible study guide or in the book of Galatians, please, 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 Use either the discussion tab on the app to send it to me, email me, call me, something. Um, but keep yourself engaged in the in the thing in Galatians. I haven't been recording many uh, devotions on it because I've been trying to give everyone time to do to do that. I may try to record one or two this week. Um, we'll see. All right? I posted a lot of other stuff, but uh, just trying my best to give you trying to bow, not give you too much. But the Bible study guys, let's make sure we're using them and reading them and and doing what we can to get the most out of them. All right, make sense? Most importantly, get the most out of the book of Galatians. All right, right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you uh, this evening. Lord, a lot of information just in the little small section of Galatians that we've looked at so far. We have a lot of questions and we're going to run into a lot of problems when we turn to the book of James. I hope that we will be knowledgeable enough, and honest enough that we will be willing to face these problems head on and do our best to find a biblical solution and not simply rely on a slogan. And I I pray that everyone would be willing to do just that. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said. And welcome back, everyone, to Theology Central Radio, where we're reaching back into the archives. And that was September the 20th, 2018, September the 20th, 2018. Now that may have actually been recorded like on the 17th or the 18th. And that I didn't get it posted till September the 20th, but I have to go with the dates that are posted here. September the 20th, 2018. And well, you can, you can hear what, when, when I listen to some of that, I, I somewhat laugh and I somewhat smile. And it does raise kind of an important question, not only about Galatians and James. And there was lots of questions there, but it really raises the question of exactly how valuable is curriculum. Right. Does your church offer curriculum to the adult Sunday school class, to the teenagers, to the young people? Are you Are does your church have some kind of study guide, some kind of Sunday school, you know, quarterly or uh, the women are using some kind of book in their women's Bible study? How much money does your church spend on curriculum trying to place things into the hands of people? And then you find out nobody's using them. You find out that you're wasting all kinds of money and time. Now, I, you may say that I'm not gracious enough. You may say that I'm not merciful enough. You may say, but I think I proved over and over and over and all of my years, 20, almost 24 years, that I tried to give people every opportunity to utilize the things that we were providing for them. In fact, I think I have, I'm looking around. Yes, right here right behind me. I knew this. Uh, I used to give to the church a uh, feature, a daily Bible study guide, right? And these came out every every quarter, right? And I, I, still, I, I still get them for myself because I absolutely love these things. I haven't used them a lot because we've been doing so many other things, but I used to make sure that we had like 40, 50, 60 of these right at the front door of the church. And I wanted everyone to have, like every family member to have one. And because it's just, these are, you know, like a little, almost like a paragraph long devotional, but sometimes they would go through, like spend an entire week in one section of scripture, almost like a, you know, verse by verse kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, everyone use them, use them. And so then we had a a summer where it was the summer of feature, a daily Bible study guide. And so what the job was every day during the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, people were looking at the feature a daily Bible study guide. Then they would come to Sunday school on Sunday and we would begin the Sunday school hour with a test. So I would give them a test. They would take the test and we would go through each question and kind of turn it into a mini lesson about each question. Well, it became obvious about, I don't know, it felt like we didn't even make it that far into the summer, uh, that well nobody was using them. Nobody was using them. Nobody. In fact, I one there was a the uh, and my daughter w- was the one writing the test, and she would come to me going, you know, I think these questions are too easy. I'm like, no, trust me, they're not too easy. And I and so I sh- we went back and forth, and she had given a a question like what was the passage of scripture for this week's, uh, you know, study guide? Because the entire week was like Philippians 2, Philippians 3. And she was like, I'm going to get rid of that when I put something else. I'm like, no, don't get rid of it. She's like, come on. Even if they didn't read it, if they just opened it this week, they would know it was Philippians, even if they didn't read it. I mean, at least they opened it or at least on the way to church, they'll open it. Well, she put that as a question and I think less than 50% got it right. And at that moment, I was like, that's it. That's done. So I stopped spending all of the money for the curriculum. Well, at that time in 2018, I was giving everyone a uh, a study guide, a Bible study guide. And the good job was everyone to read, do the the reading plan that was in the study guide and to be, be doing the work. And well, it became obvious in some of these sermons that nobody... <laughs> Nobody was doing anything. They had no clue. Uh, they couldn't answer the questions. They had no clue what I was talking about. So then we stopped those because uh, because sometimes you're spending all of this money. And I know there's two ways of looking at it. On one way, you can look at it as a church and go, hey, look, I'm placing it in your hands. The, the responsibility falls on you. And if you waste it, that's on you. But to me, there's another way of looking at it. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And, and, and at some point, well, you know, now, now I look back and said, I wish I wouldn't have spent any of that money and we would have just been saving it. That, then that would have been, that, that would have been the smart thing. But I spent money, all kinds of money trying to put these study guides into the hands of people. So when you look at your church, how much money is being spent on that curriculum and what's actually being done with it? How much value does it really add? Now, for some cases and, 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 in some cases, I think that the whole curriculum industrial complex, we, I mean, find Sunday school teachers who can, who can actually write their own Bible studies. Have Sunday school teachers who know Bible study methods. So that they can take a te- text, even if the church wants them to look at a specific text and say, here, make a Bible study off this and then be able to teach and and come up with their own ideas and their own. And and if they need some things, then OK. But I think a lot of the curriculum is just money. Just you're literally you would be better off just going going outside after church and telling everyone to come around to the back to the dumpster and just taking a bag of money, throwing it in the dumpster and setting it on fire because you're just really burning money because the the curriculum and that's at least my experience and i've seen that in church after church after all, going all the way back when i was a teenager they used to hand me when i was a teenager that like the study guide curriculum and i went home and i read every page of it i had it marked up and i was ready and i would come to church on sunday going let's go let's talk about it and it became obvious that no one else had even looked at it no one had even read it and i was like what? what's the point and then when I became, uh, then even as an adult, an adult Sunday school classes, saw the exact same thing over and over. I would see churches where the, they would have the men's like Sunday school class. And the men were going through a book about, you know, being a Christian man. As soon as the discussion would start, you would realize you didn't even read page four. Literally, I just is completely contradictory to what you just said. And it's like, never mind, nobody's even reading the book. And sometimes you're like, what are we doing? So there, going back to 2018, you could you could hear the you can hear me trying, begging, pleading. Please use the Bible study guide. Please read it. Please don't make me ask. because there's a part of me that's like, don't ask any question coming from the study guide. But sometimes it'd be like, it's right. You've, you've got the study guide. It, the answer is on page five. What are you doing? And you know, why are we wasting this money? And then it, then it raises the question, why can't you get Christians to actually use study guides to help them study? What What is it? Why are they like, I'm not going to do that this week? Now, I can understand there could always be weeks when you're too busy. But, you know, when you're going month after month after month after month after month after month after month, after month realizing nobody's utilizing the curriculum, and 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 it's so weird because it's like nobody in the church ever goes, Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not gonna use this. Nobody else is using this. Maybe we should stop this so that we can save some money. But I, you know, that's that's where I guess I have to be the bad guy. I have to be that's it. That's and usually I just get frustrated and just like, that's it, that's the end. And 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 in almost every case in twenty four years, um, no one ever comes back going, but I well no, actually, there's always been one maybe one person. He'll be like, I really like that, and I was really utilizing that. Well, okay, then order your own, because obviously the rest of your church members don't care. So it's a really it's really frustrating when you're you're trying so hard to get everyone involved. Like, okay, here we go. We're gonna work on these very big theological issues. Here's something in your hand, utilize it. Same thing happened when we were doing the digital curriculum. Not only doing the digital curriculum for the church, we even expanded it for people listening online and it's like sometimes you're just like never mind <laughs> you're like i don't know I don't, what are we trying to do here can we get anyone to y-? and i don't i don't get it um, the the Statistic after statistic says that church members are not engaging with scripture. They're not studying scripture. They don't know scripture. They're scripturally illiterate. And then many will complain that that it's the church's fault that they're that way. And it's like, I've seen churches bend over backwards trying to assist and people won't utilize what's being placed in front of them. And so I, I don't know the solution. But yeah, that's what we were doing In September of 2018, hopefully that was beneficial and helpful. That was called Galatians versus James. And the next time we uh, will go live for another episode of Theology Central Radio, I don't know where we will go next, but we will pull something from the archives, and hopefully it will be beneficial. If you find this new thing that we're trying out right now, if you find it to be helpful, email me, news. If at yahoo.com, that's news, if at yahoo.com, and as always, if you find this podcast to be beneficial in any way, shape, or form, and you would like to support what we're trying to do, you can go to theologycentral.net and hit the donate tab, or if you're using the Church One tab, you can hit the give tab, or Sermons 2.0, you can look up Theology Central and hit the give tab, and uh, we appreciate any support, because without you, well this broadcast will disappear. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.